Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today with Lou Newton and me, James Hansen. And on today's episode, we mark the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine. Now, just to say, some listeners may find what we're about to discuss upsetting and it does contain some graphic descriptions of what it looks like on the front line. It's now been two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and journalists from The Times have been covering the conflict on the ground since the very start. And that includes our senior foreign correspondent, Anthony Lloyd. Anthony, can you just sum up the current state of play, and in particular, how it compares to the early stages of the war? So the Russian invasion began February the 24th, 2022. And in the months following that, there were a number of key Ukrainian victories. First of all, Ukraine really seized the information space, galvanized the imagination of the Western world, and proved to the Western world that they were not going to collapse in the first few days, as had been anticipated. Moreover, in the subsequent months, they garnered three key victories. They broke the Russian advance on Kyiv, and then later in the summer, there was this dramatic Ukrainian counteroffensive in the territory east of Kharkiv, which took back a huge amount of territory which had earlier been captured. And then later in the year, in November, Ukrainian troops successfully managed to liberate the city of Kherson. But if you look back now, over the second year of war, actually, there's been a change in the scales of fortune. And Ukraine is looking back this year on some key defeats. It's looking on the loss of Bakhmut in May last year to the Russians, then you would have had not just the failure, but actually the defeat of the Ukrainian counteroffensive in the summer. And that was a defeat. It was blocked very efficiently by Russian defensive lines. And then finally this year, you've had the loss of Avdivka, which is an important Donbass town. It opens up gateway to further advances along key communication lines. So this year, we're looking on the battlefield not at Ukrainian victories, but at some harsh defeats. And overall, in terms of the strategic nature of the war, we're also looking at some real challenges to Ukraine. You've been in Ukraine a lot over the past two years. I just wonder, is there a particular moment that will always stay with you? There are quite a lot of moments there. I remember, I think I was working with the Times team who were one of the last journalists, if not exactly the last, one of the last, into the city of Bakhmut as Russian forces were closing in upon it. And there was a horrible road down the hill into Bakhmut. By that stage, the Russians were really in on the edge of the city. And as so often in a in a modern battlefield or an urban battlefield, the first thing you notice is there's nobody there. It's just empty. So all the soldiers are either in bunkers beneath ground or in hiding up in buildings. And an enduring image is as we came down to the bottom of the hill. And it's not a road you can drive fast on. It's kind of rutted by shell, shells and all the rest of it. 
and the shell fire impacting into this city ahead of us. At the bottom, we had to really slow down, and there was a Ukrainian military vehicle which had been hit by shell. The driver was there and was on fire in the vehicle. That was um, quite an enduring memory. Obviously, we had to slow down because you couldn't rush past it. So we were bumping past this vehicle right beside us with this soldier ablaze in it um, at about 15 miles an hour. So there was um, no uh, avoiding his fate. And um, it was a pretty horrible sight. That kind of stays me a bit. I can see why that's something that would stay with you for a long time. And just finally, is it possible to put a percentage on Ukraine's chance of victory? What what are their prospects looking like from here? It's impossible. I'll tell you, not only can I not answer that, but I shouldn't attempt to try and answer that because war is not governed by the known parameters of percentages. War is ruled by many things, known and unknown, and that's not being evasive. The dynamic of chaos, and I always say this is great for, I love this phrase because it's so true, the dynamic of chaos permeates war. There are things which happen in war that you can't aim off for. And so much of this war as well is governed not just by what's going on on the battlefield, but by outside agencies, by you know the supplies of, for example, Russia's relationship with Iran and Korea, which suddenly it's benefited to uh, the tune of one million artillery shells due to its relationships with North Korea, the vagaries of American support, uh, the wobbly nature of, of, of NATO support, those things which can't quite predict how that's going to work out for Ukraine. But what I can say with certainty is that Russia has the advantage at the moment on the battlefield in Ukraine. And Ukraine enters this year, 2024, it's now going to be the third year of the Russian full-scale invasion in a far more perilous place than it has been really at any time since after the first few weeks of the initial invasion in, in February 2022. Anthony, thank you so much. That's Anthony Lloyd, Senior Foreign Correspondent for The Times. On Thursday evening, Odysseus became the first privately operated spacecraft to land on the moon. It was a moment in history, and it was also a moment that's raised some very important questions. Who owns the moon and what can you legally do there and indeed not do there? There's so much to unpick. The Times' correspondent Jackie Goddard has been telling the world in 10 there really is no governance structure in place. Are folks going to get up there and just start ransacking the moon and turn it into Disney World and McDonald's billboards? You know, you can go back to the Outer Space Treaty of 1967, which really just says that the moon can only be used for peaceable purposes and that you can't put military installations on there. Aside from that, it's a free-for-all. And then with NASA leading the Artemis program, which aims to send humans back to the moon, testing technologies, testing various exploration methods, and possibly even at some point extracting water ice from the moon, there is a lot of questions about how do you develop it and who can do what. NASA, they have what's called the Artemis Accords, where a number of countries have signed up to this set of principles. So if there are multiple nations and multiple bodies up there at some point. How do you all work around each other and show that respect? Russia and China are not signatories to that. Obviously, there's a lot of distrust with Russia and China. But yes, the sort of geopolitical tensions in the world that we have today, there is that concern that could the moon become some kind of a base for more nefarious purposes than anyone would actually want.
It's the Netflix show that's inspired our whole new generation of F1 fans. A driver's career has a finite amount of time to it. We owe it to them to provide them with a good car. You can be here for 20 more years. I can't. Yes, Drive to Survive is back for its sixth season and Molly Hudson has written a great piece for The Times about the 13 things we learned from it. They include improved female representation in the show, obviously, how the drivers spend their off-season and what awaits Lewis Hamilton when he moves to Ferrari in 2025. In fact, episode eight is all about Ferrari and the love affair they hold with the Tifosi, their really passionate fans. There's a great moment where Carla Sainz's mother is close to tears when she sees the sheer enthusiasm with which Ferrari fans greet her son when they drive into Monza for the Italian Grand Prix. And you can read Molly's piece and find out more about the new series of Drive to Survive at the Times' website now or on the app with a digital subscription. look at politics now because we couldn't not. There's such a big night ahead in South Carolina as the Palmetto State prepares to vote in the Republican presidential primaries. Trump's team have said that the end is near for Nikki Haley, but she's insisted that whatever happens in her home state, where she's twice been elected governor, that she's staying on into Super Tuesday. And on tomorrow's episode of The World in 10, we're going to turn to their Democrats and their likely candidate. Half of voters think 81-year-old Joe Biden will not compete in the election. And The Times' Eugene Smith tells us there's some serious contenders to replace him. Harris is the obvious one. If you look at her approval rating, she's much less well-regarded even than Mike Pence was as, as Trump's vice president. Disadvantages of Gavin Newsom. He has been criticised. I mean, he's won re-election as governor of California, so he's proved his popularity there. But there are question marks about the state of California, you know, there's a lot of homelessness, for example, in San Francisco, which recently was sort of airbrushed out for the visit of President Xi of China, but it's still a very pressing issue. Uh, so he could be criticised on that. And then for Gretchen Whitmer, I mean, she doesn't really have the name recognition of these other candidates. And name recognition, I mean, particularly when you're up against possibly the most famous man in the world in Donald Trump, that does have a bearing on on elections. And you'll hear more about that in tomorrow's episode. But for now, that's all the time we have. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow.